Like many of you, I'm curious about several topics. And what better way to learn than to speak directly with the people who have the answers that you're looking for? My name is Costa. Welcome to Founder Views. That's what this channel is all about. You're going to hear me pick the brains of thought leaders, CEOs, politicians, and business experts about subjects that I'm thinking about or working on at any given time. From economics, business, real estate investing, Bitcoin, lifestyle, politics, and much, much more. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Mateus, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Really excited to uh, speak with you today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited as well. All right. So, Mateus Riolfi, tell us who you are, what you do, give us some background here. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the co-founder and CEO of uh, Taint. Um, we make it easy for uh, tech platforms to create embedded protection products to address uh, some risk uh, intrinsic to their businesses. So think about Airbnb, right? Like last time you rent an Airbnb, you didn't think about it, but there's insurance going with that transaction. So if anything were to go wrong while you're staying at an Airbnb, Either the kids can break the TV or the place can't catch fire, whatever it can be, it's all protected. And Airbnb now has a lot of people behind the scenes that make that happen. So what Tint does is that you know, we, we provide uh, the same kind of services and technology that enable any company to provide the same kind of protections as people use their products and services. Okay, very good. Uh, so how did you get into Tint? Were you in insurance before? Like, how? What's the uh, the startup origin story here? Yeah, I would like to say that no, nobody got into insurance by choice. There's always some sort of accident. Nobody dream about being in the insurance industry when they were five, right? Uh, so in in my case, um, I joined this company called Turo, which is in the peer to peer car sharing space. So Turo basically helps strangers share cars uh, with with one another. And uh, I didn't know, but 90% uh, of my time was spent with insurance. So I was, I was heading up the international expansion and launching the business in different countries. And the hardest part was to figure out the insurance piece. Um, and you know, I think my co-founder at the time, we always talked about starting something together. He was the head of data science. So he was looking at the data, he was looking at the underwriting models that uh, that Turo used. So we together saw both the opportunity of like a tech company out of San Francisco that was becoming kind of insurance company disguise like Turo. Um, but we also saw how hard it was. It was incredibly difficult to get that uh, working well without having the right partners, without having the right you know, tools and systems. And that's why we started Tent, like really to solve a problem we had and, and the company we wish existed as we're going through this, this problems uh, while at Turo. Okay. So, so when did Tint launch then? We launched in January of 2018. So about five years ago. Okay. Um, and, and am I correct? You were, uh, you went to YC, like YC backed or? That's right. We were part of the batch winter batch of 2021 about two years ago. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious, like I, I speak to a lot of uh, bootstrappers, right? Um, obviously you went another route and you know, that seems to be very successful for you, but uh, what made you go um, like the YC route, seek investors? I, I see on the website as well, you just secured a 25 million series A, right? So um, why that direction as opposed to like bootstrapping? We it's a it's a great question and we we were in the, in the Bay Area we were in San Francisco when we started and like as founders we never ask ourselves this question which is it's interesting that um, that you're saying that so we started like in we raised a pre seed round even before we had anything um, and then uh, put us on the venture backed route and the reason why we we've done that at least initially was because we wanted to be able to you know, pay ourselves a little bit of salary and have some resources that would allow us say, to travel to conferences and be able to do some uh, minimal investment while we were trying to figure things out. But interestingly enough, as I mentioned, we were founded in 2018, we went to YC in 2021. 
Uh, so in this period of time, we raised about $700,000. So we chose the VC route, but we had to bootstrap for a few years because you no, know, at the time we were not having an easy time raising money from you, raising our seed round, raising our, our follow-up rounds. So we started VC backed, we went bootstrapped for a few years, and now we're obviously back on, on, on the VC track. Um, and I think, you know, again, the reason was we wanted, we want to grow fast, right? We're following the Silicon Valley playbook of raise a lot of money, grow fast, but it, you know, we, yeah, we, I think learn how to do the bootstrap, um, the bootstrap route, uh, on the way. And today I would say we are a lot more efficient than, uh, traditional venture cap, uh, based companies. Amazing. Okay. Is this your first time founding a company or do you have previous experience? It, it's not my first time, but it's my first time doing a venture backed uh, startup. Okay. And, and is Tint fully remote as well? Yes, we're fully remote. So my, my co-founder at the time we started, he is like, yeah, let's do it. I just have one thing. I'm going, he's French. He's like, I'm going back to Paris in a few months. So if we do that, it has to be remote. And that was in 2018 pre-COVID, obviously, and everybody thought we're crazy. We heard many investors saying, nobody's going nobody to give you money. You guys, like, if you're remote, you're going to have to change that. And, well, we didn't, and here we are. Today, it seems that mo more people believe that remote can work. For sure. So are, are you from the, the Bay Area? Is that where you live? I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Bay Area. I'm originally from Brazil. Okay. Okay. So how is the remote, um, like, obviously the remote culture has really changed and accelerated, uh, you know, everywhere in the world, including mm -hmm. the Bay Area. You can see that in commercial rent vacancies, for example, in, in San Francisco. So, so how has the concept of remote work been receptive by like VCs and, invent, and, and venture capital or, or VCs and investors uh, rather? Are they just more like accepting of it? This just is what it is. Like, what's the sentiment you're kind of getting from them? It's a lot more accepted. As I mentioned, in 2018, there were, I'll say, most investors would not give you money as a remote company. They would. There was a red flag. Today, obviously, it's not. It's no longer the case. I do think you know a lot of them think that in person is better, and they're going to incentivize their startups to be in person. But but let's say there are two things that changed, and I don't believe it's gonna go back. One is that now they are a lot more comfortable investing in startups. They are not in the same city as they are. So again, before COVID, there was this thing of like, especially the early stage investors, they wanted to be around, they wanted to meet you in person for coffee, like you know, every week, every other week, and that was part of the the package. This is no longer true. So we can see investors starting to invest in other markets. And then the second thing I think is going to happen is like they are more comfortable investing in remote companies. So obviously the, the, the bar is the same. You have to hit the same milestones. You have to you know, have the same efficiency as a remote company. But I think, you know, right now you don't have to convince an investor that if you can show those milestones, it doesn't matter if you're remote or not. Yeah, you know, totally agree. Uh, so. So tell me about like when you first actually before that. So what would you say is the biggest benefit you got from uh, like going to YC, for example? Going to YC is a great experience because now you can see really what good looks like. So while we're going through the batch, you have some founders now from Airbnb, Dropbox and Stripe like coming in and, and sharing their stories with the with with the team but sharing the real story right the known pr version um which is very encouraging because you see that even the great companies they were they didn't decide great right is is a path that you get there and i think it's really uh a trap i think for founders to look at the company as they are today and 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 forget about that and even the pr version is always more pretty and uh and i don't know some 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 founders can be feel discouraged when, when they hear that and say like, well, I'm not there yet. Therefore my, my startup's not working and things like that. When going through YC, like you were reminded that 
and you see really close the, the examples of companies that were, were never there uh, until they were. Um, and I kind of can't follow that. I think YC has also a, it's a great philosophy on how to run um, an early stage startup. So I had done, you know, I have, as I mentioned, joined a Turo. I had been a Turo. I joined in Series A. The company had about 15 employees. When I left, they had over 400. So I had seen the ramp. I had seen how things work in startup. But I think what I had not seen before was the really early days, right? The the, um, the pre-product market fit, the kind of really zero to one stage. NYC, I think, has... Now, probably the best, if not one of the best uh, methodologies on how to get into the zero to ones and kind of being scrappy, being efficient. So um, I, I love YC. I think we we learned a lot from it. Amazing. Amazing. So um, I want to talk about more, more about the team and your role now. So I see you recently went to you're in Mexico for a company retreat. That's that? Yeah, that's right. Do you do annual retreats with the team then to, to get together or? We have uh, retreats, like company-wide retreats twice a year. And then we have smaller trips, like you know, product retreats or leadership retreats throughout um, the year. Okay, very good. So, so you're the CEO now of Tint. Um, describe your day as the CEO, like what, like, and I know this question, it, it evolves. Like I can ask you this like a month from now and, and your focus will be to somewhere else, but, um, let's start like right now. What, what are you focusing on right now? Like, where's your attention uh, as CEO right now? Yeah, it, and it definitely changes to your, to your point. So like to, I mean, the main topic I would say it the, the main topics probably stay you know, stable in a, in a startup, which is like you know, growth, um, the team, right? culture, and like you know, making sure that, that that there's a healthy dynamic going, which obviously will, will help create growth. So those are the two main things that are are in my mind, have been on my mind. I think what changes the attention, like is how how we do that. Um, so right now I have the kind of all the the leadership team. Uh, in place. So uh, my attention is less about executing the work on the day-to-day. It's more like working with them, one-on-ones, um, now coaching, kind of communication so that um, the, the company, is, the team is executing. We have about 45 people in our team now. So the, the, the team is moving um, to the right, uh, right direction. But if you ask me, like, you know, six months ago, I didn't have part of the leadership. So I was effectively doing their jobs. Like I was the person doing find like an accounting and closing the books and all of this before um, we we uh, hire our head of finance, um, for example. So I'd say that really the day to day change, but the kind of teams I think continue to be the same. Okay, so when you say uh, I want to like dig into that a bit, so with like team mm-hmm. and dynamic and culture, I think that's obviously very important in any company, even more so I'd say in a remote team because I, I think yes, that, that's without question, a lot more difficult than, you know, seeing everyone face to face every day. Um, so you mentioned like leadership team. So are you mean like you, you implemented like managers in each department? Is that what you mean by, by that? Yeah. Today we have leaders in, in every department. So product, marketing, operations, finance, um, but they all have, um, you know, leaders who are then managing, uh, their team. So. Uh, again, like there's no more function today at Tint that I need to do myself as a, the only IC. And again, if you, we were four people. So talking about YC, so two years ago, we were four people. So obviously, and I was the only business person in the team. So obviously I was doing part of with all those, those leaders are doing myself, like everything. Um, but now obviously like, you know, as you hire people, then First, they can go a lot deeper and they're much more probably uh, better in what they do than I was. Um, and then also, uh, then my job becomes not doing a little bit of their jobs, becomes working with them, helping them, giving some of the directions so that they can be effective yeah. in, in their jobs. So you, you said six months ago, you didn't have a leadership team in place? We didn't have some of the functions. Yeah, we've okay. been hiring the leadership team for the last year, 
I would say. But again, two years ago, we were four people. So that's that's kind of give you a sense of how things have progressed. So I can imagine like the the amount of um, like space you have now just to like let your mind explore and, and get creative uh, has you know, doubled, quadrupled, call it now that you have like leadership in place in each, uh, you know, part of the business. Um, how, how has that, how has that changed for you now? Like, what are you able to do now that you weren't able to do, you know, two years ago? Yeah, I think this has been true. I'd say the last few weeks, maybe, um, because, you know, again, it takes a while for having a team to, you know, working together, uh, understanding um, each other, being like being, being productive. So I've definitely been a lot focused on kind of making sure that that happens. I think I'm excited that like, I think we're definitely at that stage now. So you're absolutely right in the last few weeks, I found myself with a few hours that didn't exist in before in my week. And it can be dedicated to those bigger questions of like, you know, the, the direction of the company, where the market's going, like things things like that. And you calling creative, I would argue that even when you're solving specific problems, you're being creative, but it's a, it's a, it's a more focused creativity, yeah. if, you, if you will. Um, now, I think we have a, a little, little bit, I have a little bit more time to look at more kind of unfocused or unconstrained creativity. That's, yeah. that's, that's for sure. And, and how often are you meeting with the, the leadership team? Is it daily, weekly? Yeah, we have weekly meetings uh, and then a more like a monthly deep dive. Um, and then we also have a retreat. So every quarter we get together to do a, like a quarterly review and quarterly planning. So, um, yeah, I, I see them like every two and a half months, give or take. If we don't see uh, them already in, in other meetings or conferences or things like that. Yeah. Okay. Um what so in the day to day right like everyone's working doing their thing from home or wherever it is they work um how how are you keeping people engaged uh, on a day to day basis are there any things you're doing like i don't know in slack or wherever your team lives for example um how how are you building that bond and that culture on a daily basis um on a daily basis is like again i think to me, the way I think is you, we, we manage by outcomes and that should be, that's the basis of what we do or how we try to solve the daily engagement or the fact that like we cannot look over people's shoulders and trust and all those things. So for us, it's, it's not trust and empowerment and outcomes, right? Now, outcome-based uh, culture, which means, I mean, Everybody has like things that they are working on. They have deliverables and you know, they kind of make make commitments to the rest of the team and we expect them to do it. Now, exactly how they do it, it's up to them, right? Like I like to say, if somebody's extremely productive and they can deliver a high output and working two hours a day, well, good for them, right? Like I don't think I think about an office culture where if the same person can do everything in two hours, they will be six hours looking at Facebook and their screen just because they have to be physically present. Like in a remote world, you don't have that, right? Like nobody's again, looking over your shoulder. Obviously you 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 size the work. So it's unlikely that something like this happen. But if it were to happen, like we will, like we don't have necessarily a, a problem with this. And how does this translate to the day to day? I think it's like, it's a matter of, you no know, kind of, being working teams, having kind of like uh, the outcomes that you need to achieve and, and using that as a way to motivate people to like, you know, kind of work in a, in a daily basis. But also we, we, we learned throughout this process that um, even if we're remote, we still believe that in person is important from, from time to time. So another thing we do is like, you know, we encourage folks to travel and meet, say you're going to start a new project why don't you fly out to the same location, say Paris, and have the kickoff be in person? Because that also motivates folks on a daily basis. So then when they they split again, they have clear outcomes, they just spend some time together. So they're feeling connected to the rest of the team and that helps them go through their, their day to day. So um, I think like 
yeah, those are the, the two ways like yeah. the nice. outcomes and the person. Yeah, kinda... the, the outcomes totally. I think a lot of uh, remote uh, managers, founders, like understand. Like, it's, yeah, it's not about the hours, but it's about the outcome. Now, just to play like kind of devil's advocate a bit, like I can see mm -hmm. how incentivizing that is uh, for an employee, for example, to work at a remote company, knowing that, hey, if I'm efficient and I'm, you know, doing what I got to do. And I can do this. I can do what's, what's expected of me at eight hours and only two hours a day. And I have all this free time now as an employee, that's like amazing. But now on your side, are you thinking, you know what, like this person is able to do this in two hours. Like how can I get them to, to do more, like be more productive and, you know, spend more time, utilize more hours to, to get more done. Like, are you thinking about that at all? Or you're just like, this is your task. If you can do it in two hours, great. Enjoy the day. Yeah. I mean, for, as I mentioned, the, the think one of the things we do and is like, he set ambitious outcomes, right? So we have ambition. It's part of our culture. We are reinventing the insurance industry, which is like, you know, a very large and complicated industry. So by definition, that's going to be a lot of work. That's going to be a lot of uh, challenging problems to, to be solved. And I think, you know, I mean, realistically speaking, it's very unlikely that somebody can actually do the job in, in only two hours. So this is one, one aspect. The other aspect I think is, which is more the incentive piece is now at Tint, everybody will grow as fast as they can. So suppose you can, going back to the two hour example, and you have six hours, and if you, you know, taking initiative, you're feeling with, with other things, we're taking more responsibility, you're gonna grow faster, right? You're gonna get promoted a lot faster, you're gonna get new stock grants, you're gonna get you know, higher compensation. So I always like to say that you know, when you are in a startup uh, like, like Tint, the main value you get is growth. It's not the salary. Uh, the equity could be, you know, meaningful depending on the outcome of the company, but it's no, it's more long-term. The short-term key benefit is growth. And we like to let part of the culture of empowering and, 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 and trusting people is that you're going to move as fast as you want and, and you can. So um, that person, I mean, typically we see that the best performance, they get more responsibility. They, that's kind of how they move faster. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, so what type of uh, companies, like who, who's your typical customer? Like you mentioned the like Airbnb, Turo type of companies, but um, like what kind of segment is the majority of your customers in? Yeah, we we can typically our customer our customer base is is uh, they are tech companies, and they can be in pretty much any vertical. Um, but the ones that we're seeing a lot of success with are shipping, so any digital platforms that enable uh, folks shipping items like from cars to furniture to uh, like e-commerce purchase parcels, but things like that. So, for example, we work with a company called Uship, um, which is in the kind of shipping um, space. We uh, work a lot with vacation rentals. So all of the kind of short-term rental use cases like Airbnb. Again, Airbnb is not a customer, but all the companies, they are in the same space doing uh, similar things. We And we are strong with marketplaces in general. So, again, because of our background, we came from Turo, our uh, COO, was the head of insurance at Airbnb. So we really understand the dynamics of different marketplaces. So for example, we have a company uh, that works with us. One of our customers is called Neighbor. So they are like an Airbnb for storage. So if you have an idle place in your garage or an idle bedroom and you can rent it out to people to just uh, leave their things. So no, overall we work with innovators. We work with companies who are creating something new and that probably creates some new risk that is not well understood by the market, new intrinsic risk. And then we help them turn that into profitability and a great customer experience. Makes sense. Um, so I'm sure you think about, you're on this podcast, for example, uh, you're thinking about sales and marketing. Uh, that's kind of one of the hats I'm sure that you wear. Um, so how, 
you know, B2B, that, that's a space you're in. Like, how do you guys mm -hmm. do sales? Like, how are you approaching sales? Is it, you know, do you have a sales team, inbound, outbound? What's kind of the uh, flow of sales look like in your company? We do have a sales team. So right now we only use a direct channel. So we have no head of sales and a sales team who actually are going out and in, in conferences and uh, running some kind of outbound uh, routines and like the, the normal tools that you can imagine um, to get your customers. We are starting to invest a lot on, on content because again, insurance is this area that is not very well understood. And uh, frankly, a lot of companies don't never thought about uh, that as a, as a way to improve customer experience, make money and embedded insurance, which is the, the, the overarching category where, where uh, we operate is a very new space. So this term is probably two years old. Um, so there's a lot of like new education. Uh, so that's why we also investing a lot of kind of content um, marketing and we're going to start you know, doing a lot more on the area. Do you, you mentioned uh, like cold uh, outbound sales. Like, all right. So you, do you have like a, a sales team like actually doing cold outreach to companies directly as well? We do, yes. Okay, okay. And what's a typical sales cycle look like? Now, for example, I'm used to more like small ticket item sales, B2C, like small, like B2B slash C, like that very small, uh, you know, less than $100 a month segment, which are quicker sales cycles. Like what's, what does your sales cycle look like? Our sales cycle is more on the uh, enterprise side in a sense that, um, our customers, not, they're not necessarily enterprise, but um, the decision of making insurance a feature of your product is a decision that like, requires you to make a few changes sometimes in your, in your business model. Um, so we are, yeah, we, we're probably closer to what you would expect in an enterprise sales cycle. But you know, the beauty of our model as well is that it's, it's very sticky. So when you work with a customer, you get it ready. They're seeing the results. They are, they, they, it's kind of very clear what is the ROI of the product because they see more profits. They see higher conversion. So they can, um, easily understand how, how it is good for us. And then we see that our customers, like they not only stay, but they are demanding a lot more products. So we have, um, a few examples of them. We had one initial protection product with them. They launched, they work. Now they're asking for the second, the third, uh, and then we will continue to grow with them. So that's why it's okay that we have a more kind of enterprise um, like um, sales motion. Yeah. So I feel like everyone has their own, you know, you're CEO, right? You're, you're overseeing the entire company, but do you gravitate towards a particular um, part of the business or department like sales marketing, for example? Like, what, what do you kind of, gravitate towards what's your thing yeah the day the last of the leaders that we hired was the head of sales um and that was by design because we really wanted to be like i was the one running uh all sales i sold pretty much every single dollar that we had in, in revenue and uh, we we did leave the sales uh, head of sales for, uh, for last so we could learn but i could be very close to our customers like as we're trying to figure out product market fit, really understanding it and then getting the feedback uh, firsthand. Um, and now we believe we're in a place where we have a kind of more stable solution. We can start the kind of replicating in the sales motion a, a bit more and, and bring a quote unquote professional that can not only improve, but then scale um, the sales team. So I used to spend a lot of my time, because of this, I used to spend a lot of my time in sales. But now with this transition, um, I'm going to start balancing a bit more between the different areas of the business. Nice. Do you, do you share revenue numbers at all? We typically don't share, but I'd say we are growing like our, our, our volume, which is our biggest kind of nerd stars, has been growing about you know, four to five times a year in the nice. last few That's years. Awesome. That's great. So you, you glazed over this, but the reason I asked, like you, you, you single-handedly like close the, like all, all the revenue 
in the company starting out. So like, how did you do that? Like someone listening is like, okay, that's amazing. So like, like what exactly did you do? Like, can you walk us through some of your strategies then? Yeah. So, I mean, we, I, what I've done is like, I think what all, all founders do, right? Like start, um, start like, you know, talking with as many people and companies as possible, learning from them and then kind of help build the product that, that they want. So, but I think one, what we did is, and I recommend every founder does if possible is that we really leveraged our network and expertise in the early days. So as I mentioned, we now have a few customers, uh, they are marketplaces and we came from a marketplace background and we started even more narrow in the car or car sharing or vehicle space because coming from Turo was a lot easier for me to sell to other companies in the space when we had nothing, right? Like no product, we're just selling an idea at the time. Then if I started to go to a completely new versus uh, oil and gas that like I have really no, no experience. And then as you build a product, as you have you no know, track record, and then it becomes easier and easier to expand to, to other um, verticals. So that's really, if I have to summarize what we've done, I think that that will be that will be the case because other than that is like you know talking to folks trying to understand their needs kind of like sell i've never sold before so i had to learn how to do it but uh, but again i think we're, i was focusing on folks like me or other founders in tech platforms so like i really knew their language i knew their problems we could have some credibility so i'd say that was the most powerful thing that we did in the in the early days and we can now like we we currently have customers in 12 different verticals so we have expanded past our origins and i can see it it's harder right as you go further and further from your expertise but again i think the company now is in a different moment than it was yeah. when we started so yeah amazing so when you say like at the beginning just like speak to as many uh customers as possible like how how did you do that? Like LinkedIn, like face-to-face -face conferences, like what did that actually mean? Yeah, so it is exactly that. It's like leveraging your network to get to the, the folks you want to talk about. So again, maybe stepping back, um, I stayed four years at Turo, uh, as I mentioned in my previous job. And one of the things I was looking for while I was there and I was actually doing was building a network in this space, right? So I, I guess I mean, I'm originally from Brazil. I came here to go to business school. So I knew nobody in the US. I had to start from really from scratch. And my time at Turo was the way that I, I saw, like, you know, I was looking for really three things there um, a network. I was looking to, like, learn how a world class startup looks like. And the last part, which is last but not least, is that just building some savings on the personal side so that I could, as a founder, take more risks, personal risks on the financial side as well. So I think like by the time I left Turo after the four years, I had checked, so I checked all those boxes and that was what kind of really helped me um, starting Tint, right? So that those are the, the doors and the connections that helped me um, get started. For example, our first customer was Outdoorsy. Uh, which is a peer-to-peer -peer RV sharing marketplace. They are you know, a unicorn uh, today. And the person who hired us at Aldorzi worked with us at Turo. So obviously they run a full process. They, you know, we had to jump all the hoops that you would expect from any vendor, but we had that original kind of beachhead um, inside the company. So that's one of why I always tell founders that like that that's the like the practical reasons why you should start with something you know is because not only you have the credibility, but it's likely that you will have the network, uh, the first knocks, uh, do so doors to, to go knock. And then if you what you're selling actually has demand, it should be a little bit of a snowball effect. Like from there, you're going to start getting more validation that enables you to go like to like further away from your domain expertise. Yeah. Love it. So you, you mentioned uh, you, you didn't know sales. You didn't have a sales background. You had to learn it. Um, 
I, I personally think sales is the most important skill set that a founder, like a new founder should uh, learn. Because uh, it's something that just like stays, like you're always selling, whether you're selling initially mm -hmm. to get customers, whether you're selling um, the, like employees, uh, recruiting, like incur like selling in a way to existing team members uh, to, to keep motivated. Like all this is a form of salesmanship, I think. Uh, but obviously done in a, like a genuine way. Um, but like, what, what do you think is, is the most important skill set for you as a founder and, and to other founders listening? Yeah, I think it's hard to say one. I think as a founder, you got to be well-rounded in, or maybe like, at least to me, I would say my main skill is being able to speak all languages inside the company well, right? Like I can sit down with a farm or with a, a, a developer. I mean, I don't do that anymore, but like I could write code. I could sit down with a developer and kind of help them think through any issues that are happening. I can um, think about marketing, think about sales and understand finance and P&L and things like that. So I wouldn't say that like sales is the most important, but I would agree that it's mission critical. I think, especially in the early days, I think you, you, you write that the, the founders are always selling. They will continue to do the same. And you didn't mention selling to investors, which is fundraising, which is, again, exactly. it's another huge piece of, of the founders' uh, work. So I do agree that sales is mission critical. But I also think that a founder should learn all the different things. You see that, especially on, say, a technical founder, right? Like the, she or he can be very good at a certain technical problem. But then some, some of them may have a hard time transitioning to like a, a kind of founder, more kind of CEO role, because then you have to learn the rest, right? You have to learn the sales part. You have to learn the marketing uh, part, finance, like HR and all those other things. And I think the folks who can learn the other parts the fastest, they're probably going to have, have a higher probability of success. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. There, there's a lot of things for sure. Um, so you, how are you leveraging uh, AI right now? It's obviously a uh, uh, hot, hot, hot topic around the world uh, for investors, specifically for companies trying to think about like how to utilize AI in their own companies. Um, what are you seeing in your particular industry right now with AI? Yeah, well, our... our name or our kind of domain is tint.ai right so some folks to this day still call us tint.ai which is interesting so we uh we've kind of been a journey on the ai part so obviously ai is a core uh component of our business um and you know, we, we believe that insurance ultimately is a is a data business right it's a data business wrapped into some legal and regulatory which are mission critical but the, the core and uh, it really boils down to the data stuff. So that's why we started as a AI company. Our first kind of AI application was um, using machine learning to help companies predict the risk. So let's say Outdoorsy has a transaction. So you want to rent an RV and in real time, they would use us to predict whether or not this transaction has a high risk of an insurance claim. So let's say an ex extreme example, you're renting a big RV around Burning Man time in the same location as Burning Man, and you know, and you are 25 years old. Like, okay, this is obviously a very high risk um, transaction, but you now there are many factors that go, and we use AI and machine learning to help Outdoorsy figure out what's what's behind that. So that was our kind of first uh, application, and this is still a core part of our platform. This this kind of real time kind of risk management or risk scoring capability. And now we're starting to see with the GPT part, like more and more applications from like customer support and claims. So let's say if you file a claim from your uh, Airbnb stay and you say, oh, this, this TV is broken. And now in, in theory, you can just have a photo of TV before and after, check a few things and say, okay, that's a legit claim. Let's pay the TV. So I see that the the, the AI the GPT capability is really going to impact two parts in insurance, the customer success uh, support, sorry, the customer support part, and also the claims 
um, at Justin Park. So we're very excited because, you know, we have all the data infrastructure. We have all the technology that is required to store the right information in the right way that we can apply AI on top. So we should you now be able to um, make a lot of progress and have more exciting things to share in the next 12 months or so. Sarah's on mute. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's amazing. So are, are you currently integrating with like OpenAI or, or ChatGPT or? We are, we are not integrated yet. I think we are definitely um, exploring some of the applications of, of the OpenAI. I think everything that is machine learning based that I, that I mentioned before, this is, yes, this has been in production and I'm, I'm sure it has been used a few times since we started talking about it on, on our customer side, but the AI, the, uh, the GPT component, uh, it's something that we are working on right now. Nice. That's awesome. How do you see AI? Like this is my, this might be obviously a very difficult question to answer i think just because like i don't recall i don't think there's ever has been any technology in history that is just moving at the speed that ai is like we're talking like day by day like there's like massive enhancements and improvements like use cases where is this heading in your opinion yeah it, it's absolutely hard it's it's hard to tell i tend to believe that um AI, it's gonna be a bit like computing. It's gonna be, it's gonna change the world, right? But it's still gonna be, um, it's still gonna be something that like it's, it's gonna support humans. It's gonna enhance humans, enhance humans' ability. So Steve Jobs has this famous quote that a computer is a bicycle of the mind. I think AI probably is gonna be the airplane of the mind or like something that is even better. But I still believe that it's going to be mostly of supporting and enhancing kind of human creativity and taking care of like maybe some of the lowest value add tasks that we are not the best ones to do it and help us focus more on the kind of high level things that require more kind of, not, we wouldn't say cognition, but more reasoning. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I think you can definitely see smart people everywhere in the spectrum from the singularity it's going to be exponential and ai dominates the world to it's just a fad it's going to go away like the same way the way i think about it's thinking about self-driving cars right when i joined Turo, so that was around 2014 there was all the hype by self-driving cars that like by the end of the decade there'll be no more cars in the road right people were asking Turo those questions like so you do car rental you're gonna how how you're gonna disappear in ten years because nobody will rent cars. It's gonna be all self-driving Uber style, and here we are. Right? And like self-driving cars are far from even though the tech made a lot of progress, we are far from mainstream adoption. Even electric cars, like so, I I think that the, to me the technologies they tend to be to like tend to to um, take a lot longer than people think to get mainstream um, adoption. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit of the framework I use. Yeah, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, as, as much as like positive you can see for like for humanity and like people, I, I can also see in, in another way, it, it can kind of reduce the uh, people's ability to use like critical thinking because like kind of like don't even have to now, like put, put in whatever your thoughts are into... In, in, into one of these uh, platforms and you're going to get like a, like an amazing response that doesn't require your own brain, you know? So in a way I could see that as, you know, you could see that at both. Like you can see a positive, but also as like a negative to like, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. I think, you know, then there's, there's absolutely risks. And I think you're right. But to me, this is like, think about cab drivers, right? So I don't know if you, you've been to London or you, you know that in London, there was this like infamous uh, exam for taxi drivers in London where the taxi driver needs to memorize every single street in London. That was even like a kind of point of proud like for, for taxi drivers. 
and then GPS came, right? And then Uber came. And then in that case, like anybody can be on the road without knowing, like the two of us could fly to London and start driving right after we arrived because the, the, the technology took that kind of special, very specific knowledge and put it on, on the software. And then we can argue here, like, is it really a good skill and does improve cognition to know every single street in London? And my answer is probably not, right? So I think there will be many places like that. And I think that's where AI is going to shine. And you're just going to do like AI is better than humans in calculating rights, uh, sorry, calculating uh, routes based on traffic information. And there's no point of us trying to beat that. Um, but you know, is it better than um, in starting a company and talking with a lot of people and figuring out the problem to be solved and going there and try? And the answer is no, right? Not not today, at least. Um, maybe never. We'll see. We'll see, indeed. Uh, at the rate of this, who knows? Um, yeah, it's hard to tell. <laughs> we will see. Um, so, like, you're you're a CEO of a, a very fast growing company. Um, you know, when did you secure the, the Series A? I saw that on your website, but when was that made? Uh, we closed uh, about a year ago. A oh, year. Okay. Awesome. Are you so? So what's what's the like the five year plan? Are you like IPO exit? Like where are you where are you guys heading? Yeah, we're, in the next five years we want to keep growing and uh, making progress towards kind of our our vision of making insurance a feature. Um, and not a product. Right? We believe what we're doing can be transformational. We believe uh, we're, with embedded insurance with this idea that the brands um, and the, the products you love are the places you're going for kind of the protection you need, the insurance you need. Like that idea changes how the insurance industry should operate. Like it changes everything. It changes who creates the product, when, uh, how it's distributed, what data is used, so really, like ultimately, what we're doing is creating the infrastructure that's going to power this kind of new world. So if things work as we expect in five years, we should have you know, a much you know, bigger impact than we have um, in, in the world. And you should see fewer Geico's and fewer kind of annoying advertisements on the radio and on TV and more like you know Airbnb or Uber or your airline kind of offering the protection as part of um, what 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 you're doing. So again, I think we, and going back to the, the bootstrap versus VC route uh, question that you asked earlier, we believe that like, yeah, this opportunity is so big that we, we need additional capital. We need additional fuel to grow faster, which would be very unlikely that, that we could do that with pure bootstrapping. Yeah, makes sense. And like for for you personally now, as a CEO of this company that's moving fast and the high ambition to grow, um, how what are you doing on a personal level to to stay sharp, mentally focused? You know, what are you doing outside of work in terms of like you know what are you consuming, reading? Like, what's your thing? I think the main thing for me is my family. So I have a three year old daughter now, and. Uh, and my wife and my wife is also a founder, so she also has kind of all these pressures on, on her side. But to us, it's like going back to our family, right? I, I, um, I think that's kind of what grounds me, and then what um, what reminds me there are all the importance uh, or other things in life that is arguably more important than um, my job than what I do at Tint. And that's really what helps me because, I mean, one of the key, and it's, it's, it's easier said than done, but one of the key um, skills that founder needs is to learn how to navigate the ups and downs and how to keep that, that balance. And personally, the way I do that is by reminding myself that there are more, other more important things in life, like health, like family. Um, so it doesn't matter what happened with Tint, things are going to be all right. Uh, as long as the family, health, you know, friends, those things are, are okay. Yeah, couldn't agree more. That's awesome. Uh, are are you? Are, do you listen to podcasts? I do listen to podcasts. I used to listen to a lot of podcasts when I was going to San Francisco. So I, I live in Mountain View, so it's about a forty minute drive to San Francisco. 
So I used to listen to um, a lot of podcasts uh, as I was going um, up and down. But I, um, the good and the bad news is that I have not been, uh, I, have, I have not had to drive much lately, so I can be a lot more efficient in my place. But then I feel the time uh, with other things that are not podcasts as, as much yeah. these days. Yeah, fair enough. What about books? Are you, do you read? I read, yeah. So this is something that I, I was this morning talking with a person on the team. Like, I do read books. I um, I mostly focus on business books. So I see reading these days as part of my um, my work. Um, but I do read a lot. I'm kind of an avid reader. I have always been. I turned to think about the last time I read something outside of work was probably the Dune trilogy probably like, I don't know, a year and a half ago. But other than that, I have been just yeah. reading kind of business books. Yeah. Yes. So any recent book that you read that you would highly recommend? Yeah, I love the Principles book by uh, Ray Dalio. Um, I think I just finished Challenger Sales, which I think is very interesting for going back to your question about sales. I think it's a very interesting methodology. Um, high Output Management by Andy Growth is also a pretty interesting one. Um, yeah, I think those are the ones that I come to mind, but like I, I, I can come up with a larger right. list if, if necessary. That's a tough one. Yeah, for sure. Um, awesome. Well, Mateus, really appreciate the time. This was very, um, you know, really nice chatting with you. I think a lot of people listening are going to get a, a ton of value. So, you know, thank you for, for coming on and chatting. I uh, do wish you all the best and hopefully we can do this again sometime. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you um, and, and thank you for having me. And if, if someone wanted to, to reach out, uh, find you online, where's the best place to do that? The best place is on LinkedIn. So if you search my name, I think I'm the only one out there. So you will find, you find it. Uh, and also www.tint.ai and you can just contact the click on contact as we, we uh, read everything people send. So that's another good route. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you very much. That'll be all in the show notes and uh, Mateus, thanks again. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much.